We are back. We're bad. We're bad or back? Bad back. Bad back. I got a bad back. <laughs> I was this is the part. Flashback to a lethal weapon. I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but we can't even lethal that. weapon, man. So this is uh, my wife's least favorite part of the podcast. Oh, I is what I she think calls it's everybody's least. She calls part. the banter. The, yeah. She's like, just get to. I the think we're more disciplined than many podcasts. Some no, I podcasts agree. will banter for like twenty minutes. It's we're, so we're good like three. Weird to know unless you're like super scripted. It's so weird to know actually like what to do. Like how should you, how much should you banter? How should you lead into a podcast? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know there's an art. And then I go back sometimes and listen to myself, and I'm like, I need to enunciate more, mm. but not so much to where it sounds robotic. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and I know you're listening to this right now at home thinking, I just want to skip to the part where they talk about important things. And I get it. <laughs> <laughs> so I should, too. My name is Keith. I uh, am a pastor here at Stonebridge Church. Brandon Levering, also a pastor here at Stonebridge. Yeah, we are in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, in case you're uh, wondering if you've just stumbled onto this podcast. And uh, just to give a, a, a recap of just reminding what what this podcast is for it it's our hope like one of the things that we champion here is not i think every every church would say well not every church but any church worth its salt would mm-hmm. say the best that we can do is teach the word of god yep. right so we stand under the the word of god and its sufficiency so every all the information that we have about matters of, of faith and practice that comes from God's Word. So our goal is to take anything that we talk about and f- run that through the filter of what does God's Word say, mm-hmm. but also how do we rightly handle God's Word mm-hmm. so that we're not like fast and loose with the text. So if it's a cultural issue, we want to apply the, the context of Scripture to it. Uh, if it's uh, like one of the gospel narratives, we want to use scripture to inscri- interpret scripture, mm-hmm. and uh, so everything we do, we want to we want to put through the filter of uh, you know what does scripture say. Yep. But today, 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 we're going to talk about that uh, nagging little piece that what happens when scripture doesn't seem to be saying <laughs> what it's actually saying or right. isn't. Yeah. Right. What do we do? Uh, what do we do when we find a passage, if you're reading through your Bible and you find a passage as we uh, happened upon in John mm-hmm. this week, at the end of chapter 7, beginning of chapter 8, which is one of the most popular stories yeah. in the Gospel of John, but, but probably not originally in the Gospel yes. of John, added added later, mm-hmm. um, and this little, this nagging thing that we call text criticism. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, what yeah. do we do with a passage that probably wasn't supposed to be there originally? Yeah, which, I mean, it's it's a maybe an uncomfortable question, yeah. but it's, it's really important to just go there, because I think the temptation is either one to pretend like none of those things exist, right? which... You know, maybe noble, but it's still naive because anytime you then encounter not even just a critical commentary, but an everyday commentary, those those issues are real. Sure. Like yeah. the you know, and, and for instance, it, what we're talking about specifically, John seven fifty three to eight eleven, almost every modern Bible um, will have so anything post King James right. will have some sort of note. Uh, either in the footnote or in the even above the heading, saying 
the earliest manuscripts do not include these verses and right. so on. So, um, so one reaction would be just to pretend like that's not there. Mm-hmm. The other would be to uh, draw the conclusion, I guess I can't trust anything in the Bible. If that's not <laughs> right. really the way, if it's in my Bible, but it's not supposed to be in my Bible. What else is not what supposed else? to be What else? Yeah. And yeah. so I think it's just healthy to just address the question and wrestle with it. How... How did you know, and 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 it gets to the bigger question of how we even got the New Testament? Yeah, um, why we have things uh, where verses where there are footnotes with other manuscripts say this. Right. Why there are sections like John eight. Right. Uh, or the last several verses of Mark sixteen, mm-hmm. or a rant, you know, a few verses in First John five, mm-hmm. a random verse here or there. You know, you're following along, and it and it skips from verse 45 to 47. You're like, wait a second, what happened here? And then, right. oh, there's a footnote. Verse 46 was probably added. Right. That happens in our New Testament. Sure. And it's good to ask why and understand it. And so that's uh, that's what we're going to do today. Yeah. It it, it is. I, I get that it's hard for people. Uh, there's there's the misunderstanding first. I mean, first of all, that when we talk about the Bible being the inspired word of God, I think sometimes people might um, tend to uh, overshoot what's actually meant when we say that. Yeah. So um, it's not exhaustive, right? It is not exhaustive, nor is it meant to be exhaustive. It's a very specific, it's it's a very specific uh, in, in its scope and in its breadth. It's the same reason why people will be like, uh, well... You know, it doesn't say anything about this aspect of science, and it's like, well, it's not well, a science. Yeah, the textbook. Bible doesn't is not designed to speak to every single topic we might be interested right, in. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but for all lives, uh, for all matters of faith and life, um, it is sufficient. Yes. For for what we need to know. But you brought up the question of like, how did we even get it? You know, there there are two um, when we think about these. Uh, you know, d- digging into it a little bit more. Um, when we think about, in in general, we can, we can get a little bit deeper. I'll probably have you go a little bit deeper in a, in a canonization just briefly because we could spend a ton of time on it. <laughs> but um, but two of the criteria that would be really important is ancient mm-hmm. and authentic. Absolutely, right? Yeah, not, not the only ones, but when we decide when we are looking at texts and saying like. Okay, what would qualify something to to be put in there? Why would a um, why would somebody who's a copyist or mm-hmm. uh, why would uh, some sort of uh, editor of these texts yeah. in translation add this in? Yeah. Well, if it's ancient and authentic and doesn't appear to to contradict anything that has been decided upon as as canon, mm-hmm. then we really it's not a huge problem. Yeah. That, right? So so there's kind of there's. Two well, there's more than two. <laughs> there are two primary stages to us getting the New Testament to right. today in the original languages. Right. Then there's the whole stage of translation Correct. and so yeah. on and so forth. Yeah. Um, the first you mentioned canonization, meaning right. what actually? Well, I take it back. The first is the actual writings themselves. The, what yeah. we often call the autographs, right. which is not like asking a celebrity for their <laughs> signature. But the you know the 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 original document written by Matthew right. or Paul or right. whatever. Now we do not have any of the autographs in existence right. um, that we know of. Right. What we have are copies of them. Correct. So there's the autograph, 
and then there are the copies of it. At some point, the early church also went through the process of canonizing, like figuring out which of these are uh, divinely inspired word of God, and right. that's that's probably a whole nother podcast. Um, <laughs> we or, should do it. Or I mean, many many podcasts, podcasts probably. Yeah. Um, and and so I'm I'm gonna just brush off of that. But yeah. how do you, how do we get from the autograph, the the first original document, to uh, the the copies that then were passed down and recopied and recopied mm. and recopied, um, we would say the inspiration applies to the autograph, the right. original document written by John, Matthew, Mark, so on, um, which means that a copyist, somebody, a scribe who who's taking that and and writing it down so that somebody else can read it. If that scribe makes an error, mm. that's not an affront to the autograph. Right. That's now right. an error that we have to wade through. Right. In the same way, you know, even when I like, um, I I tend to manuscript my sermons and I'll go back and read them later sometimes and realize I've got typos in there yeah, and things sure. like that. Um, it, it's just natural human nature to make those kinds of things. Yeah, it doesn't change the original thought. Doesn't change right. the original document at right. all. Right. Uh, so the so the task of what's called text criticism is wading through the massive amount of mm-hmm. ancient manuscripts, mm-hmm. of varying different kinds, and so on and so forth, to discern which reflect the autograph. Right which ones are true to the original text. Mm-hmm. And as overwhelming as that might think, again, sometimes you think that, well, this just sounds like ancient telephone, right? Right. You know, where you get in the circle and you whisper some phrase, and by right. the time it gets back to you, it's, it's you know, right. how do we know that didn't happen with the New Testament texts? Sure. Right. Um, well, one, because we have like 20,000 of them. And yeah. so <laughs> yeah. there are very, very, you know, when you consider the amount of words and the amount of manuscripts in existence... The number of places where there's what's called a variant, mm-hmm. um, where where there's a difference, are pretty minimal. Right, um, and, most, and, and it can be explained. Pretty obvious. Right. Oh, you know, it's mm-hmm. clearly this scribe yep. spelled the word differently, right. or uh, you know, there's there's a number of error ways that an error can get introduced. Mm-hmm. Um, Bruce Metzger is kind of the the old Yoda on text criticism, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, he he lists. A number of let's see, where is it? I had that here, but you know little things like sometimes they're accidental, right? Yeah, right. So, um, and part of that part of that is understanding languages, right? Yeah, especially as you're going from language to language. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, so and and that yeah, then translation becomes a whole nother level. Well, because there's that, no yeah. like when somebody says we have a literal translation, um, the problem is. No language translates absolutely literally from from language to language. So the best that we can do is the closest idea to idea. You can come close to a word for word, yeah. But for if you're listening and you're like, well, you know, so this this version is a word for word translation. No version from language to language is actually a word for word translation because of the way that languages differ. Correct. Yes. And, and yeah. Syntax and vocabulary um, and such. Yeah. So there's there's number there's a number of fa- yeah because once you get an accurate reconstruction of the original document, right. then you got to put it into your target language, right. and that's a whole it's a whole game. other level. Yeah. So, but and and so how do how do we end up having a, a text like John eight that is so familiar to church history, mm-hmm. um, that was 
just received as the Bible for many centuries sure. uh, via the Latin Vulgate, which mm-hmm. is the Latin tran- the, the kind of the official Latin translation of the New Testament right. and, and old um, through the King James and so on and so forth. Right. And then all of a sudden, uh, in the 1800s, late in early 1900s, somebody's like, wait a second. <laughs> How does that happen? <laughs> well, the, the short version of it is you, you have uh, different text families that kind of develop. Like, so, yeah. for instance, um, if a scribe introduces an error in one, he's, he's producing two documents, and he, and he produces an error in one of them. Mm-hmm. And that document goes to this other, where they, they now make a thousand copies of that one. Right. But the one without the error, there's only three copies made of that one. Right. Well, now you're looking at it, it's like, well, there's a thousand copies that have this one. But, but if they come from the same error, um, then the thousand doesn't really doesn't tell you anything. Yeah, so, right. And that's why, for a long time, what was called the majority text, where there's a large family of manuscripts, there were lots and lots and lots of them, but they all trace back to a, a, you know, a common source mm-hmm. or family of sources and right, so on and so forth. Right. Um, this is we are way oversimplifying this, just so you know. Yeah, like yeah. If you're listening and you are a deep student of these things, you you're like they're glossing over a lot of things. It's true, but if you're new to this, this is a lot already. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and 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 so, long story short, um, it became kind of clear when looking at the earlier ancient manuscripts, the, the different text families, um, looking at the earliest and most reliable manuscripts. Uh, they didn't have some of these stories in them, right? So, um, and and that was not clear until people started really studying more manuscripts more broadly. Mm-hmm. Um, that was not as clear. Uh, but when when that study began to happen, it's kind of like, well, actually, there's pretty strong historical evidence that, and, and you know, I alluded in the sermon itself that. Um, not only do the earliest manuscripts not have John eight, but uh, sometimes or not John eight, but John you know seven fifty three to eight eleven. Yeah. Sometimes that's placed elsewhere in right. John's gospel. Right. Sometimes it's stuck in Luke. Um, yeah. And and then of, of course there's lots of later manuscripts that have it. Sure. Um. Uh, so that that's kind of what you wade through. But the whole goal and why, even though this is maybe confusing and a little unnerving. The whole goal is to get back to the original document. That's where inspiration lays. And so the idea that we might have some variants to wade through on the journey back to the original, that's that might be new information for folks, but it shouldn't unsettle us. And there are no there's no real doctrines at stake in these variants anyway. Right. Again, vast majority are spelling differences. Right. Um uh, and even where there's a verse added, often in the Gospels, what you'll have is you'll have a verse that's in Mark mm-hmm. or Matthew, mm-hmm. and some copyist will, well, but it's not in the other one, and some copyists will think, well, that one's missing, and so they'll add it in. Right. Well, they're right. just taking it from Mark into Matthew, right. even though Matthew skipped that part or vice versa. Right. So you're not, 
it's not adding a new idea in that case. No. Um, and, and there are crit- yeah. there's so there are criteria as well because this it gets into the same not just when when you see sections that are added and and those little notes that like you know some manuscripts do not contain this, mm-hmm. but also the issue of apocryphal writings, right? So like what if there's what what's the standard for like when when can we not freak out over these things? Yeah. And and one of the things would be like. So if you're talking about the Apocrypha, and again, if you're listening, you don't know what Apocryphal writings are. They are not considered as full canon. In, in the Catholic Church, there would be a number of them that they consider mm-hmm. to be authoritative. Post-Council of Trent, yeah. Correct. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, and then there's even differences between what they would call Apocryphal writings. So the, the ones that relate to the Old Testament are ten, tend to be looked at as more reliable because mm-hmm. um, they're, they're not, they expand on it but they don't like go directly against it. Where like New Testament apocryphal writings yeah. are are in conflict in what they're saying, especially if you get some of those apocryphal quote unquote gospels. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah, not yeah. saying the same things that the that the the synoptics are saying. You know that the canonical Correct. gospels are saying. So that's where you run into problems. Well, this this text, there's nothing about this text that theologically or doctrinally. Mm-hmm goes against. In fact, it does yeah. seem to fit, and you'll find a number of papers, like even on the, the Journal of Biblical Literature, I was trying, you know, I probably spent too much, I spent too much time. <laughs> but what you'll see is a lot, if you look in that, where it's put in John and what it does, it actually theologically kind of sets up what's coming after that in terms of some major points that are being made as, if, as far as it applies to Jesus' uh, relationship with the Israelites who can't mm. see who he is, mm-hmm. right? So some of the same themes that are being carried over in that, that, uh, that story of the woman caught in adultery and Jesus' response to that do have some uh, overarching theological like tendrils that, mm-hmm. that kind of fit there was in with the rest of John. There's a reason that some scribes thought it belonged there. Right. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. but but that's kind of the point. It's like you should freak out if you see something that if something were added in the middle of scripture that is contradictory to the same mm-hmm. things that you see later. Um, I think uh, uh, I think it's Adam Clink who said it um, this way. You don't have to deny significance of content even if there are questions about origin. Mm. Right, which I I think I think is smart. Like, okay, so where did if you have a if you have this piece in scripture that you're like, well, maybe it shouldn't be there. Okay, so we can explain why it shouldn't be there, but people's that their next question might be like, well, why do we still keep it in there even <laughs> if we found that it shouldn't be in there? Well, because there's no significant um, uh, damage done because of the content, even mm-hmm. if we would say, well, you know, these manuscripts, this, this appeared later on, yeah. right? So yeah. that's why and we think, don't freak out about Absolutely, and like I think it's also a, a matter of transparency yes. by modern modern Bible publishers. Correct, yeah. This has been in there so long, <clears throat> mm-hmm. everyone's used to seeing it. We don't think it really should be there, but we're not <clears throat> going to take it out because we want you to know that it has been in there, you know? And mm-hmm. so there's kind of a... Because uh, yeah, if, if you're reading through a Bible and it skips from 753 to 812 or 752 to 812, <laughs> you're asking questions, Why right? Is, and and so because the verse verse numbers were yeah. added way later <clears throat> and all this, so. Right. Um, but yeah, here I, I found my little list oh, from good. Metzger of yeah. you know h- how do how do variations enter in there? Sometimes there's an unintentional one, so <laughs> errors arising from faulty eyesight. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about humans here, or faulty hearing. Oh, dude, I'm hearing. feeling that nothing. I'm not feeling any of these more than I'm feeling that one right yeah, now. Yeah, I'm yeah. at the stage in my life where I, where even with contacts, 
I'm having to hold my phone <laughs> as long as my arm will stretch away. <laughs> so, you know, we have glasses and contacts. They didn't, <laughs> they didn't have, have that back right, then, right? Yeah. Uh, faulty hearing. When Sometimes copyists, it was, you know, you'd have one reader mm, right. in a room right. and everybody writing it down. So they might not even be looking at the manuscript. Mm-hmm. They might simply be hearing it and writing it. Right. Uh, errors of the mind, errors of judgment, so just unintentional things. Mm -hmm. But then there are also intentional changes where kind of a scribe thought they were correcting an error that wasn't actually an error. Right. Um, Or for other, you know, other reasons, uh, changes involving spelling and grammar. Mm -hmm. You know, that word is spelled wrong. Well, maybe not, but, you know. Or harmonistic corruptions, that's where, you know, You've got something that feels intention, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to smooth it out. Right, um, right, like taking the tension out of it. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, uh, clearing up historical or geographical difficulties, you know, an old place name that we don't use anymore, they're mm-hmm. updating it. Um, alterations made because of doctrinal considerations. Sometimes you get a scribe who thinks they, who has a theological axe to grind or yeah. agenda, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. and, or addition of miscellaneous details. So, sometimes you end up getting, we saw this earlier in, in the, uh, John 5, sometimes you get something that was almost certainly originally a, a marginal <coughs> note mm. interpreting the text, like the stirring of the waters in John right. 5, yep. that right. eventually yeah. then finds its way into the text itself. Right. Which we see functionally, uh, you know, we're, many of us are used to having Bibles with study notes nowadays. Mm-hmm. I've on more than one occasion had a conversation with somebody who thought something that their study note said was in the text of Scripture itself. Oh, yeah. We just make that conflation in our brains. Right. And so those are how we get some of them, how we, you know, determine which which ones are are faithful to the original to the best of our ability. Mm. Um, uh, It's a matter of both external and internal evidence. So the external we talked a little bit about, you know, kind of the date of manuscripts and the and and the groupings or families of manuscripts, how broad the another one they look at the geographical distribution. So if there's a reading that was here in in you know this vicinity, but it's also in mm. documents produced 500 miles away, right? That seems like an independent witness. This seems like you know, yeah. As opposed to again. 500 manuscripts cranked out of the same scriptorium yeah, <laughs> uh, with the same error. Uh, so so there's a, those are some of the external ones. Internal, you know, in general, the more difficult reading is to be preferred right? because a scribe is more likely to smooth something out than to add a, you know, mm. an error. That's yeah. not a foolproof, you know, but that's a general principle. Right. Um, or, or, for instance, the shorter is to be preferred to the longer. Mm-hmm. Um, more likely to add extra words than to remove them. Um, bringing, you know, borrowing a parallel passage from another text, like sure. we talked about, or yeah. uh, replacing an unfamiliar word with a more familiar synonym, mm. those, those kinds of things. Um, and then, you know, just, uh, yeah. And just to reiterate, some of the things, like even... Uh, you had mentioned it in in the sermon that you know part of the reason that you you are led to believe that it doesn't belong there right would also be that the language that John uses yeah, that's a great example in, of in internal. the whole right that like if it doesn't if it is 
if the content is, uh, even if it's the same generally thematically, if the language that's being used or the, the type of speaking that's being used or writing that's being used is different in that section than everything else that you see, mm-hmm. then you can be like, okay, well, maybe yeah. this was added. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's one more data point, right? So, right. for instance, the phrase, scribes and Pharisees brought her. John never uses the phrase scribes and Pharisees anywhere uh, yeah, else. Right. It's usually the Jews, right. meaning the Jewish leaders, sometimes yeah. the Pharisees. Yep. But scribes and Pharisees, that's very Matthew. That's very synoptic gospels. That's not John. Right. And so that that that's one flag there. Now, had he done that, but there was no question of manuscript differences, mm-hmm. he used the word scribes. No big, <laughs> right. deal. Yeah, no big deal. But when you've got like, okay, there's some Multiple manuscripts that points, don't yeah. have this, and then there's different vocab that's not usually John. Because the where you can run into trouble with that is some people will read the pastoral epistles and say, well, this style is very different than Paul's other mm-hmm. letters. This maybe wasn't Paul. Um, well... But there's, that's not a manuscript question. That's no, now right. they're you know it's just somebody looking at something internally and thinking I don't think that this reads the same way. Right. Um, and again, that's well, a different podcast. Right. But, but text criticism to I mean to the the point is one of the things that is a little bit dishonest is text criticism is just as much an art as it is. A oh, absolutely. So it's not as though. It's, There's it's not some when, automatic says, formula. Well, it doesn't look like. Yeah. It's a, that doesn't mean anything necessarily unless there's enough evidence to corroborate that, yes, this may have come from a different source or this yeah. may have been added later. But just looking at something on face value as a textual critic and saying like, well, it doesn't seem to me that he's saying that, that and, speaking and in the same language. Old Testament text criticism, at least during kind of the higher critical days, yeah. is way different than New Testament. Correct, yeah. Because you have all of these what's called a, a conjectural emendation <laughs> because it got it became very popular during a season uh, of comparative linguistics where like okay the Hebrew well here's this Akkadian or Ugaritic right, word Ugaritic stuff, and yeah. maybe that Hebrew word is actually just uh, a sloppy use of this and so right. we really think it should be this now there's not a blessed manuscript that reads differently right. But these introduce, especially in well, most of, of the stuff they're taking from the Ugaritic, they're pulling from Akkadian texts. That you're, you're not—it's not like a text for a text. They're just getting ideas from other Ugaritic writings and trying to apply them to. I know the zero Bible. about Ugaritic uh, or, or those kinds of things. Where where I've encountered this is in a lot of Psalms commentaries mm. when, uh, especially um, Dahud or Dehud's uh, commentary in the Anchor Bible mm. uh, yeah. commentary. I mean, every Psalm. There's like 15 in conjectural emendations <laughs> that he's offering in there without a single manuscript basis. Right, right. There's no difference in manuscripts. Right. He's just doing this, reconst- trying to reconstruct the Hebrew language based on other ancient related languages right. that may or may not have anything right. to do right. with the... Re- that is a total different game. Yeah. And, and, and they're, you know... Which it's why... Why that can be so confusing. So mm-hmm. even as you listen to this, you're like, okay, so, you know, why should I trust the Bible? But text criticism in and of itself is not a good reason to not trust the Bible. Correct. Uh, be, because, again, it's, it's, it's just as much an art as it is a yeah. science. And a million different text critics can say a million different things about the same passage. It though, really is. Though, it, is it ancient and authentic, right? Is it reliable? Exactly. And and even though a lot can say, th- there's really not that much 
disparity. Correct. Like yeah, really, right. you know, the vast, vast, vast majority right. are obvious and non-issues. But if something something becomes sexy and pressworthy, if it if they're claiming that it says something that is sure. uh, opposed to what traditional Christian yeah, teaching and, and would even say. you get you get some folks who will try and use the fact of variance. Um, to kind of sow doubt, right. like Bart Ehrman would be a good yeah. example of that, who was actually the co-author of the book but with Metzger yeah. that I was yeah. referring, the text in the New Testament. It's a very good book. Yeah, and and Ehrman's no idiot. Um, but he's also he, no no he, Christian. <laughs> no, and 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 he's he's you know disowned the faith. He right. grew up in an evangelical context. Yeah, yep. um, went to the same grad school I did. Yeah, um, or maybe that was his undergrad. I don't know, but. What he will sometimes do is is say things like you know for First John five where mm-hmm. you you have this addition of the water you know the spirit and the blood I don't have have it in front of me yeah you got this extra verse around verse six or seven yeah. and then <clears throat> where the Trinity the Father the Son and the Spirit all right. also agree in heaven right that is nowhere in any of the early <laughs> manuscripts in fact. There's not a Greek manuscript with that phrase right. in it prior to Erasmus creating right. the text that became the Textus Receptus. Right. Like, it was introduced in the Latin. Yeah. It's never in the Greek. Yeah. Became commonplace throughout, you know. And, and so the 14th, 15th century is the earliest Greek manuscript that has that verse. Yeah. What Ehrman does with that is, rather than saying, oh, an error got put in, we, we know that it doesn't belong there. He's like... And see, that's why the Trinity is a late idea. Like, Question everything. <laughs> you know, and that's just, I mean, it's just disingenuous. It is, yeah, it is it's disingenuous. disingenuous. Yep. Like, um, and so that is not a healthy reaction to the reality of text variants uh, yeah. in our New Testament. Yeah, that's, and especially when you get into the second power theory that the uh, Old Testament Jews and the second temple Jews would held to. So w- that's a different podcast. Yeah, that's a different uh, <laughs> I don't even know what that one is. Well, it's, it's yeah, anyway, it's uh, we'll not get into it. We'll save it. Um, and what we want to get, so the question then comes down to, now that we know all these things, these variants and stuff, and that there's text criticism, um, what do we do functionally? Okay, mm-hmm. so what do we, what do, we do with... Um, something like that passage yeah um one of the the ideas that i saw and i think again i think think it was is from a clink's commentary on john is he talks about text on probation Hmm. right that there we can look at certain passages and consider it to be a text on probation and one of the criteria gives is if it's used in collaboration in second in a secondary in a supported role but not in an isolated and independent authority, authoritative mm. role for the church. So if we find sections like that, we don't have to be afraid of them. Yeah. But we we do need to be careful when they're added in there, um, when it's something that's later added or something that we don't recognize in those mm-hmm. earliest texts. We probably should use it as a supportive text rather than as a primary yeah, text. Actually, yeah. Which for this passage in particular is one of the most used passages to prove a, v- a variety of theological things sure. about what Jesus is for and what he's against yeah. and how you should handle sin and how you should not yeah. handle yeah. sin. And I think that's where, if we come to, when we get to a point, it's like, how should we approach these that, things? That's huge. Because the reality is, um, m- there are very few people 
who are going to be able to do their own work in text criticism. Mm-hmm. Like it's a complicated it's a thing lot of that work. requires knowledge of the ancient languages right. and so on and so forth. Um, most people are going to rely on experts, right? And so, um, and and so, and study that, Bibles and, and such, study yeah. Bibles, mm-hmm. which shouldn't you know we rely on experts for all sorts of things. Sure, like my yeah. mechanic tells me that the alternator's bad. I'm going to take his word for it because he knows cars and I don't, right? So we it you know uh but if I'm questionable then maybe I take it to a second expert. Mm, so maybe don't, right. I don't just read one commentary read to see what they say. Yep. Read more than one. Are they yep. all saying the same thing? Right. So that's that's just part of, you know, commentaries in that regard are, are written form of fellowship. Mm-hmm. You know. That's uh, a great it, it's the yeah, that's a great way to put it. It's it's the body of Christ um yep. working together. Uh, so what do I do? Uh, I, I can look at those kinds of things and just kind of see what is the general consensus among people who know what they're talking about on that. But then for me, like you said, um, I don't need to be afraid, but I'm also not going to hang a whole lot of mm. theological weight on questionable passages. Right. So I think I might use <clears throat> John 8, 1 to 11 as an illustration. Yes. You know, it right. might demonstrate other texts that or, or, or themes that are clearly articulated elsewhere, but I'm not going to hang major doctrines on it, right? Right, right. Um, So that's probably the biggest thing is that uh, to hold, to approach it with humility, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that... Um, that we can we can mm-hmm. use this, we can read it, we can even teach on it. I chose right. not to preach a whole sermon on it just because of my conviction that I don't think it's original. Right. But I also right. chose to spend the first five or ten minutes <laughs> of my sermon on it. Yeah. Because I think it's worth comment. Um Absolutely. And, and so Absolutely. Um so I think if if we're just careful not to hang primary weight on on it, um, yeah. but allow it to play secondary roles, yeah. illustration, yeah. analogy, demonstration. Yeah. Um, then I think we're in safe territory. Yeah. And and meaningful territory. Yeah. And so, yeah. So I get this is always the plea because it, w- w- the Bible is in no danger mm-hmm. because of these things. Yep. It is the nature of language. And the if if you're listening and you're worrying a little bit, listen, the Bible is still the most reliable. Yes. It's the most reliable ancient document that we have. Like if it if it were possible that it would have been completely deconstructed and shown to be false, it would have happened by now because yes. it's not for lack of trying. Yes, right? absolutely. So maybe when we when we run into these passages, like you said, I think I think it's a great point to say, like if you've got access to a couple different commentaries, uh, by avail yourself of those. There's so many great online tools. There are free yeah. apps that you can like things like Pocket Bible or like eSword mm-hmm. or like free ones. Step Bible is a great if you've one. You got if if you have the access. Uh, well, even they've even made uh, versions of Logos like cheaper mm-hmm. uh, through Faith Life and stuff. But you can access a free one nice. that's limited. There's so many resources. I think that's part Part of it right now is there's so many yeah. resources that don't just throw your hands up and be like, well, I can't trust this. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. that's 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 the lazy way out. Right? Yeah, to totally. Do. So totally. we we want to trust the text. And and if you are curious to like, <clears throat> I really want to understand more about text criticism mm-hmm. and how it works. Um, again, Bruce Metzger's the text of the New Testament. Yeah, it's transmission, corruption, and restoration. There's a title for you, uh, but it's a fascinating, yeah. very. 
um, I wouldn't say exhaustive treatment, but very comprehensive treatment from mm. everything from the autographs to um, modern text criticism and so on. The other, the main place I would point you is the work of Daniel Wallace. Mm. Daniel Wallace yeah. is, has just done some phenomenal stuff, and he's got all sorts of different resources on text criticism, including debates he's done with yeah. others and yeah. so on. Yeah, he's Wallace really just a leading, I think, scholar in yeah. that area. Um, and, yeah, his expertise goes beyond just text criticism, yeah. but um, he's really strong in that. Um, oh, what else? Oh, yeah. Um, and then just on in terms of general reliability, mm-hmm. you know, one of the classic books on the reliability of the New Testament, which is, the title uh, is by F.F. F. Bruce. Yeah. Um, guy named Ken Kitchen has a, a similar one for the Old Testament, mm. the reliability of the Old Testament documents or something along those lines. There's lots of great stuff. There are a lot of Lots really of great, great stuff. Yeah, even there's accessible stuff for teenagers if you've got uh, young people in your house. There's, there's Can We Trust the Bible by yeah. Barry Cooper yeah. is a great starter read yep. um, for anybody. Um, yeah. So I guess the, the, the overarching thing is we don't have to be afraid of it. Yeah. You no, know, when we when we find a text like that, so and hopefully what that does for us as believers is drives us even further into a deeper study of Scripture, and and applying it to our lives. Like, don't just walk away and be like, "Well, that was nice," but <laughs> yes. uh, we always we always want to get to the application. Yeah. Right. So and and gratitude and humility for the incredible work of God's people that yeah. we have the yeah. Word of God in our language with so much access to it today. Like this is a gift um, that earlier generations did not always have, uh, oh, certainly yeah. not to the extent that we do. Right, and it's a lot of hard work that uh, you know we should be grateful for. There is, there is absolutely in this in this day and age. So Christian, if you're listening, there's absolutely no excuse to be uh, uninformed or to have a lack of knowledge about mm. scripture. Mm. Like there's too many resources. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think, you know, we we are left without excuse. Like if we're, if we're not in it and we're not diving into the fullness of God's word, it, we got no excuse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the only one I might think of is like staring at a at the cereal aisle. <laughs> I, I, I just don't know where to start, right? <laughs> no, you know, right. Uh, and yeah. if that's you... Drop yeah. us an email. Yes. We'll help you get started. Yeah, if you're um, especially if so you're, much available. If you if you call Stonebridge home and you're like, hey, I need to get going on this stuff. I don't even know where to start. Please reach out to us. We would love to help you get started. Yeah, uh, there are a number of opportunities that you could avail yourself of to dig into the Bible mm-hmm. and, and uh, great classes, great groups. So yep. Uh, yep. don't don't let fear uh, keep you from from jumping in. So, amen. Yeah. Well, thanks, brother. Uh, yeah, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to set up a whole canonical series. Oh man, here. that's I'm. Just we're gonna have to study for disclosure. that. Disclosure, <laughs> we're not experts on any of this. Oh, no. We are pastors doing our best to yeah. be informed. I just read um, all the experts and then and, try to. And I'm like, like rereading I'm a book I read like 15 <laughs> years ago. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm glad I underlined this thing so I know what to look at now. Hey, the great thing about doing this podcast is. There's quite a there are quite a few things that I had to read or write papers on uh, in various levels of education that I have to go back and see a do I still agree with what I wrote <laughs> <laughs> and b do I remember what I wrote Amen. So. Uh-huh. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, uh, we will uh, talk to you as soon as possible next uh, next time we talk. 
we get to talk a little bit about um, uh, about truth and freedom and uh, uh, what it what it means to be born again or abide in Jesus. So, awesome. looking forward to it. All right, thanks, Brandon. Thanks for joining us.